This is Coda Radio, episode 266 for July 20th, 2017. Everybody and welcome to Coder Radio. This episode is a little bit special, but it's of course always your weekly talk show that tries to take a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and, of course, related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two wonderful sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. My name is Wes, and being ever so gracious and letting me join him this week is, of course, our amazing host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Listen, I'm not going to respond to your email, Wes, but I love it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for showing up, because I definitely would have forgot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, you're a busy busy man. That can be forgiven, I think. I'm pretty sure that I'm the Dean Martin of podcasters at this point. We all know that I'm a little in the bag, but it's okay. Yeah. Well, when I get that place, and maybe it's because I'm here in the Pacific Northwest, I I kind of want a coffee, right? I mean, I always want a coffee. I'm, I should be drinking coffee right now, but I'm not. And sometimes it's just too hard. I have to get up. I have to go try to order coffee. There's probably a line because I live in the city. It's terrible. Yeah, terrible. Mm-hmm. Maybe Maybe Starbucks should be able to do something about that. Uh, tell us more. Well, if they had an API that was open, that would be far more convenient because then someone could write a bot for you that from our JB Slack channels would order you a cup of coffee. Oh, see, now that would be perfect. It'd be ready but right when I get into town. Like, just like have a guy show up a coffee. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. But of course, Starbucks has a proprietary API. And for those of you who haven't paid attention to the last week, uh, there's a great blog post of somebody who actually reversed engineered the Starbucks API in the uh, iOS and Android app. It's kind of amazing, actually, because when you look at the JSON outputs, if you're a mobile developer or even just a web developer who uses JPON, JSON API points, you realize this huge corporation is just like me. These, this is exactly how I would structure this, right? Like Totally. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So, so have you tried it out? Um, that would be a violation of their terms of service. Yes, it would. See, that was a trick question right there. <laughs> yeah, see, me and my buddy Donald Jr. are very careful about how we answer questions these days. I want you to know that. You have to be. People always trying to jam me up, cause problems. No, but it, to be honest with you, it is surprising to me. Um, I don't know if you know this, Wes. I just relocated to Florida. Yeah, you know, I've been hearing about that. You've done that once before, right? That was more of a vacation. Okay, like an extended vacation. Yeah, just flirting with the idea. You know, it was like a sort of like an office romance after hours when the cleaners left the office kind of thing. Yeah, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Right. Well, no, I mean, you, in polite company, that's not something you can really bring up. But you're back. So how do you like it? I love it. It's great. Um, I'm actually, funny enough, I'm actually opening an office down here in Plant City. And I'm trying to figure out 
coffee service. Believe it or not, I swear to God, I didn't set this up on purpose for the office in Plant City. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you know, you got to keep people productive and they need to have their right. coffee. You know, it would be super helpful, like Slack, you know, hey, order us, you know, five pounds of. I have to be honest, I don't buy Starbucks coffee, so I have no idea what the names of their roasts no, are. I don't let's either. just say, yeah, let's just say medium coffee, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's those one of those things, right, where people will do it if it's dead simple, but any more complexity than that, and it's just not going to happen unless it's someone's job to do it. Right, and my whole business runs on Slack, so we're at the point where if it doesn't exist in a Slack bot, it simply doesn't exist. If, I mean, it, right? Wow. It, it's like the Jedi Order right before they all got killed, which, hmm, maybe not the best policy. No, no, maybe not. But, I mean, if it works for you. Yeah, there's this one kid, Anakin, though. I'm a little worried, but eh, it's going to be fine. Don't do, do you pay for Slack, or are you on a free tier? Oh, no, we're, we're quite a ways beyond the free. Yeah, that's right? what I would assume. Yeah, yeah, we're, I think it's like 150 a month or something. It's, uh, uh, the, Slack is an interesting business. I mean, I don't, this wasn't on the show notes, but they have one of the most addictive products because we had hip chat and that was included. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought I'd, I'd heard you talk about that before. Right. And it's, and we pay for Atlassian. So we're actually already paying for hip chat oh, okay. as a yep. part of that. Um, but the team just loves Slack and, you know, got to keep the people happy, right? You, you sure do. And I mean, if they're going to take to it and they're going to use it and actually use all the features, then yeah, maybe it's worth the, worth the cost. I know like a lot of people are in that position as well now that, uh, Office 365 has that Teams feature. So, but I, 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 I've not also seen any kind of like large movement to, to use that even if you've already done it. Yeah. Slack really, once it's got its hooks in, it's... You know, there you know it reminds me of heroin in a lot of ways. Once you start, it pretty much is going to rule your life. Yeah. Well, at this point, it's been integrated with so many services. It's just that, you know, all, that, that kind of popularity yeah. factor where it's just like, well, and, I know, know it'll work with Slack. And enterprising people are running bots that manage your business and your uh, back office activities with Slack. That's a pretty nice value proposition to kind of, you know, to ignore. Hard to do. I, I think it is, too. Awesome. Uh, so it looks like this guy also posted up like it's a JavaScript API here for ordering yeah. from Starbucks. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so I haven't tested it in about a week. I'm wondering if Java, if uh, Starbucks didn't go ahead and lock that down a bit more. Yeah, it's funny. What is it? It's like It was like openapi.starbucks.com, but it is yeah. not actually open. You're not, not supposed to use it. You have to actually spoof your user agent to make it look like you're on a mobile device. Like there's all this crazy uh, stuff to do. All those little signs where you're like, yeah, maybe this isn't the request that they'd like to be seen. But it is frustrating, but, especially when you're like, here's like a well-formed API that I could use. That I, you know, it's, you're not trying to take advantage of anything. It's not that I want free coffee. I mean, I do, but I'm not trying to get it. I just want the coffee. Well, I, I sort of don't get it, right? So, like, if you have a bot that integrates with, like, we're talking about Slack. So, let's say Slack, and you could have a Starbucks feature. Why wouldn't Starbucks let you order coffee from that? That <laughs> seems crazy to me. Like, if my mission in life was to sell you more coffee. Right, yeah. You should make it as easy as possible. I would be like, you could literally text pound coffee, and I will get you a coffee. Like, I'm going to try that later, and... Uh... We'll see what happens. I'm almost sure that's some sort of uh, pornography phone line. <laughs> almost certainly. Oh, gosh. But, like, you see people like Domino's, like the command line apps or other things, just try to make Absolutely. it super easy. Domino's is like, if you're on Facebook 
and you want to message us pepperoni pizza, we will get you a pepperoni pizza. <laughs> you are now obligated to pay us for this pizza, but it will be at your but, door in 10 minutes. Right, exactly. It will be there, come hell or high water. Exactly. Uh, all right, well, Starbucks, if you listen to this, maybe try to take our advice and uh, let us play in your wonderful API playground. We all just need some sort of giant sugary beverage right now. It's summertime. It's hot. Some of us now live in Florida and really need something to take the pain away. <laughs> well, that's what Rolling Rock beer is on sale for uh, $6.99 and an 18-pack from Winn-Dixie. Yes, the grocery stores in Florida are called Winn-Dixie. Oh, and I'm sure you get a kick out of that every time you shop there. It's a little weird. So what made you move back to, or well, for the first time to Florida? Well, it's very easy. Um, my wife's family is here. Ah, okay. That is a compelling reason. Yes, yes, women are very powerful, as the beer knows, or Rikai knows, or someone knows. <laughs> uh, how do you like it? Are you, you're, I mean, it seems like it's brought on a, a lot of emotions, a lot of change, a lot of reflection for you. You know, it, it has made me want to recapture my youth in a way that's probably not healthy. Like, but I'm probably current- fun. Or, or f- extremely dangerous. <laughs> um, I am trying to now order a custom skateboard for myself to try to take up skating again. Oh, I support this. That sounds quite entertaining. I hope there'll be pictures on your uh, okay. Twitter feed. Yes, of me in the hospital, no doubt. Yeah, um, something arm in a sling, and but a so big I'm smile. like roughly 205 pounds right now. Okay, when I was when I skateboarded i was about mm, 145 (laughs) and i had you know like muscles and i don't know Wes. do you remember being young i sure do like i have vague memories of it you know like agility and like the ability to like fall and roll out it didn't hurt when you stood up and tried to walk around exactly i could like pop up in a flip and all that things were fun you had hope right like you look at old people like wow what's wrong with them and now i'm like oh i gotta get up (laughs) yeah But I'm going to try. And do you know why I'm going to try? I don't. Because this is Florida. And much like Avril Lavigne, I'm never growing up. So it's it's just, it's never Neverland. It, it, it is literally Michael Jackson's Neverland. I might want to take that back. But it's just kind of, it's the same temperature all the time. Nothing changes. It's filled with gators and the elderly and you. Old people, gators, and snakes are the three oh, hazards. Yeah, snakes, of course. Right. So are you going to have like a pet snake? Uh, I already made friends with the snake. See, there I you go. I call him Ralph. Ralph and, the snake. And he was in my yard trying to eat frogs. Because this is Florida and I'm living in a goddamn jungle. Yeah, pretty much. It's just a large terrarium that you have been It looks like into. lizards and frogs and snakes everywhere. It's like, hi. So, yeah. Interesting. Has it changed but, much from your like day to day business operations having this with this move? Uh, so a little bit. I tried to work from home for about a week, mm-hmm. and that has proven really, really hard. So I am going to go ahead and get an office. Yeah. Okay. Uh, What's hard? What was hard about it? Well, I have a sixteen-month-old. Ah, yeah. So that would be very difficult then. Yes, and I have two dogs. And to be honest, it's more the kid than the dogs. Mm-hmm. The kid. You know, babies don't give a crap if you're on a conference call. No. They just cry when they're going to cry. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So it's caused a lot of, like, awkward muting. 
And like right now I have my hand on the trigger because I'm ready to mute at a moment's notice. Well trained, uh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it was great but terrible at the same time. I mean, when he's older, it might make sense, but with my luck, they'll end up being another kid. Mm, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it just has ended up that you really need to have, like, a separation of concerns and be like, this is my business time space. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of that kind of stuff, uh, our next item today is someone over in the Coda Radio subreddit who's looking for some career advice. So uh, they write, this is Breaking Point Zero. I know Chris and Mike have a lot of varied industry experience, so I wanted to post here in hopes of getting some advice. I'm a developer currently working on the server side, not the DB connections or anything, the actual server running the application. I'm unhappy and have been very unhappy for a while. Hey, I'm sorry to hear that. Partially just burned out and partially just tired of working for a large corporation that I work for. I recently realized I enjoy talking to people about tech and the possibilities of it. Think about like what could be done with bots or mobile or, or whatever. It really gets my blood pumping, and one can hear, you know, the excitement. The other part of that which I enjoy is helping others find a solution to help bring their ideas to life. The problem is I I really have no idea how to find a position like that. I've attempted to search for things like tech sales, but that hasn't led very far. So I implore you, oh great ones, what sort of term should I be using to find this mythical position that I'm in search of? As a side note, I am going to networking events, so I'm not just searching online. But that seems to have proven just as difficult. Breaking point zero. All right, what do you think about that? We'll have to, I'll have to try to substitute in for Chris's uh, wonderful knowledge. But uh, hey, maybe he'll chime in on the subreddit when he gets back from vacation. Wait, Chris got a vacation? I know, right? Is he getting more ganja from Jamaica? I think so. I mean, the, I the, studio, the studio's out now. Everyone's been yeah. complaining. Yeah, it's a big it's a big problem. Uh, no, so the job you're looking for is if you want to be like the tech guy for the sales team is a and correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, but a sales engineer. That's right? what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is probably where your experience comes more in, but you know, on my side, they basically make sure that the salespeople aren't selling things for you know a quarter and a pack of juicy fruit, right? <laughs> to make sure that the job can actually be done at the price that's being sold at. Yeah, um, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a lot of organizations, they can be, it really does depend, of course, in this industry, there's like a lot of variance here. Uh, I've also seen stuff for like solutions engineer sometime or solutions partner. Um, I know some some companies even have, you know, they'll embed some of their team in with another company that they're working for, and they'll just kind of help be liaisons or help, you know, bridge technology, technologic gaps. Uh, but a lot of times you can get, you know, you'll find sales engineers who, are heavy on the tech side. And I think that's kind of what Breaking Point Zero is looking for and really getting to be, you know, the the bridge to customers or, you know, new customers or current customers and helping them really leverage your API set, your integration points, understand what your options are, and a little bit less in the, like, first pitch salesman trying to get your money angle and more in the, like, all right, well, it looks like we can help you. Let's help make sure that we can help you in the best way possible for both of us. Which is, uh, you know, hopefully you'll find something. I think tech sales, yeah, that might lead you astray. Sales engineer, solutions engineer, something like that will hopefully right. find. and Find you job positions that make sense. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you'll have to try to find some of the companies that, you know, would have positions like that. But 
Well, I mean, every every consultancy has some sort of role like that. They may call it something different, um, but yeah, and you may have to look at yeah. some things that wouldn't necessarily look. You know, they might not on the surface have all the tech that you want, or might not be exactly what you're looking for. But I think there's at least some flexibility in some of these roles where you know, if you're knowledgeable and can be a really good partner with the engineering side, that can go a long way. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, writing in Breaking Point Zero, and good luck with your career search. It sounds like you're a you know a, a talented person who wants to work hard and and help people. So hopefully you can find something here that will uh, leverage your talents. Okay. So up next today, turns out it's 2017. That still feels weird to me, even though we're like what halfway through it now. It's July. Um, it does. But. I guess that means it's time for another state of the developer ecosystem. And it's time for Mike to bitch again about Swift, which is most important. I'm looking forward to this. With no further ado, dive right in. So go to the link in the show notes, jetbrains.com slash research dev ecosystem 2017, and you will see the best programming language ever invented. Objective-C. At a disgraceful one percent oh that is a little disgraceful i don't know how to say this nicely but if php is at 12 and objective c is at one we we are clearly living in the darkest timeline possible yeah that's rough oh gosh this is not where i want to be you know wes i know you love closure i do it's true but have you heard the good news of objective c you know, I actually haven't, I used it a little bit in college, um, but I haven't really done a ton in it. So please, preach to me, Mr. Dominic. Everything, it, it is like, okay, Objective-C is to Christianity, as, as a small talk is to Judaism. It's like the new version. Okay. We're going to get a lot of hate mail for this I'm, one. I am sure that is true, but just carry on. <laughs> It takes on the best parts of small talk with the best parts of C, which are few and far between. Yeah. And gives you a language that is compatible with C, but has the awesome messaging and reference wow. counting of small talk. That sounds actually really I've always admired small talk and I felt like, yeah. you know, small talk got really you know, people focused so much on the objects and like forgot about all the messaging. Right, exactly. I mean messaging is I mean, okay, I've read a lot of Java. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Java's great. I love Java. I'm a big fan of Java. But the fact that Java is not like a messaging framework, right? It's not a messaging sort of setup. No, it's not. It's a huge pain in the ass because you have to catch every possible goddamn error. <laughs> yeah. Where in Objective C, it's like no, if you if you screw up, it's just message not understood right? or. Uh, unrecognized message un- unrecognized selector is actually the error in some ways you kind of get like a, a looser coupling for free just right there right you get a looser coupling objective c is like programming with the assumption that you actually know what you're doing Ooh, i like the way that sounds swift oh you know we're not gonna go here all right swift is like programming on the assumption that you're actually stupid Ouch. Like, you don't know better. You're afraid to couple your objects. You're afraid of inheritance. I'm sorry. This is getting mean. Um, I don't mean to say that Swift developers are bad people. But Swift developers are bad people. 
So wasn't there a time where you were somewhat excited about Swift? Yeah, that's what we call marketing. Mm. Before you actually no, got the real skinny. So here's the thing. Swift is not a terrible language, right? I mean, it's not PHP. Yeah. But I still don't understand why Swift exists at all. Like, I have written plenty of Swift now. And I don't get it. I'm no more efficient in Swift than I was in Objective-C. I get that there are some errors that the language does not allow you to commit. Right. But really, don't you have people testing your stuff? Or are you just, like, deploying builds blindly? Yeah. No, I you know I, I sympathize with that argument. Obviously, more certainty is, is nice, and if you can get it, but that doesn't mean that it's a real value proposition for someone who's already very comfortable uh, and competent right. in Objective-C. What would well, you say to someone like learning app, you know, wanted, wanted to target iOS right now? Honestly? Yeah. I would say learn C Sharp and do Xamarin. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think Microsoft has more um, more concern for the practicalities of being a developer than Apple does. And I, and I mean this not in like a Mike hates Apple kind of way because I know we do a lot of those. It's more... Let me give you a simple example. Yeah. You know, Swift is going to be going on version 4 pretty soon. Well, in Objective-C, it's C, right? So if you want to import a C library, like, I don't know, um, any media processing library you could think of. Right, there's a whole back, huge world of whole, C libraries right. out there. Well, guess what? It's interop. It's 100% interop, assuming mm-hmm. it's not like a Windows one that imports a Windows thing. Right. And Swift can do interop with C. I'm not saying it can't. But you can tell that it's getting a little harder with every iteration of Swift. There's a little more formality, a little more ceremony. And I can see a world where at some point it just becomes, you know, the day Apple rewrites uh, UIKit and core location and all those frameworks in a, in Swift rather than Objective-C, because those libraries, believe it or not, uh, particularly Coco, yeah. is actually a C and C++ library. Those are not, those frameworks are not Objective-C. They're C and C++. Right. So that's why Objective-C and Swift have that backwards compatibility. That makes but a the, lot of sense. The day Apple actually releases those in Swift, you know, if you're using like whatever FFmpeg or whatever you're using that's an old C library, you are in a lot of trouble. And now you have a language that, you know, give IBM credit, and I never do, but give them credit. They're trying to make it a server-side language. And I'm actually a financial. I was one of the first financial backers of uh, the Vapor project, Vapor.codes, for Swift on the server. Well, they're not going anywhere. And they're not going anywhere for a really simple economic reason. It cost maybe $25 to $30 an hour to hire a Ruby developer or a PHP developer. Yeah, that sounds about right. And it costs about 50 to $60 an hour to hire a Swift developer. So that's why you're saying we should all learn Swift right now. No, that's why I'm saying businesses are not writing their backends in Swift. Yeah, right. I mean, especially if you're saying, you know, if you're not seeing the kind of productivity wins or simplicity wins or any of that that are well, advertised. Swift is, you know, if Swift is kind of forcing you to, if you want to be a good Swift developer, you have to learn uh, protocol-oriented programming. Which is not a bad thing by any yeah that's paper codes you brought on the screen there yeah um, and I think that I've used it I think it's great but it is and again I'm a, was one of the original financial backers but it is not going the right way because Apple has not 
you know, in a weird way, they've pushed Swift, but they've almost overemphasized the replacement of Objective-C rather than saying that these are sister languages and that Swift is another general purpose programming language. Mm, I see what you mean there. Not that I'm bitter because I was working in Objective-C for a decade. Um, Yeah, certainly not. You would never be. And next Java. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So have you seen any, like, I know there's been talk too about, like, like with the, besides Vapor, are there any other Swift backend movements? There's a few good ones. Um, I, wow, IBM has one. Um, Perfect is, I think, the next most interesting one. I think Vapor is a little more, uh, sound the way it's structured it's more to my taste but perfect i think it's perfect.io is the um probably the second second most interesting one if i had to pick but they're not getting the traction right people aren't using them in numbers that matter compared to like a ruby on rails or a django or a php cake or anything like that Mm, mm -hmm. so it's yeah it's just not seeing that kind of right it's not seeing the kind of adoption you would hope for yeah, especially like the, you know they made such a big deal about doing it open source and and in the open, which I mean is great. I I want to encourage that. I think it's it's a it's a good thing for them to be exploring. But I do sympathize. Like I also, while not doing a ton of mobile development or anything, I also was like, well, what what does this really get me? What how does this actually stand out? And why would I want to choose this over something I'm already familiar with or has more industry support or has you know like okay, I can see it for like I'm making an an app where I, oh, I'm just calling Apple stuff, but like you're talking about now we suddenly need like, I need a bunch of libraries of Swift compatible APIs and libraries that I can pull in. And that's where like 90% of my functionality is going to come from. Right. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. But it's also, you know, if you've been doing Java on your backend for years, right. Or Ruby or something like that, Apple, if you really want to be a good Swift developer, you have to move to this protocol oriented programming paradigm. I feel and, you know, I, I do a ton of sales. I try to, like, close people. I talk to project managers. No one wants to invest in their team learning a whole new paradigm, right? That's just, like, that may sound great on a white paper that, like, this is somehow better. But in the practicality, the business stakeholders want this done as cheaply and quickly as possible. So having their team learn this new paradigm just isn't going to be a good sell. Right. I mean, you've talked uh, in the show al- already about, you know, the difficulties in trying to get people to adopt DevOps, continuous delivery, all sorts right. of those kind of practices. Right. It's already a hard sell there. And so you're also like, well, turns out you also don't know how to architect software correctly. So you better relearn this too, just to get the same features in your app. I mean, I have a hell of a time just getting people to adopt Docker. And my argument is this will cost you very little money relative to what your business, you know, would lose if the server went down and it would automatically redeploy your systems in a container. Yeah. And that sale is an incredibly hard sale. Boy, isn't that funny? Yeah. So it, the, the idea that like, you know, Oh, we're going to do this all. And, and, and I actually happen to agree that protocol oriented programming is a, um, in a lot of cases for complex applications, a more ideal way but the answer to me isn't change your programming language. It's adopt some of these practices in the language you're using. Yeah, sure. So it's like, like Swift might be coupling. useful as an exploration of how to how to get this sort of ideas right. But exactly, you would prefer to see this in like you know as a library that you could start adopting some of these practices within the languages you're already using. Well, I think 
so I think there was a – forgive my 90s love here. Yeah, sure. But had Apple re-released web objects with the Swift version of it when they released Swift, I think there was a high probability that Swift would have actually been like a major – back-end web framework in addition to being a mobile application development framework or rather language but because they didn't do that because they left it up to the community and i'm you know i'm a hippie now i've i've turned sides um you know i I, again i love vapor i think perfect is fine which is a weird thing to say It, it is yes but because you know what companies corporations especially big ones buy on the name brand and telling them that you have this great framework called Vapor just isn't doing it, right? Now, if you said this is the Apple web development framework, yeah, that, that would hold a ton of water. That means something to non-technical users, to people who yes. have to allocate budgets for this kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. Interesting. Well, did you have any other takeaways from this State of the Ecosystem article? So two other small things, or three rather. Uh, the first one I think is pretty obvious. JavaScript is the most lang- uh, popular programming language, you know, period. I mean, Wes, do you have anything on that? I know you like close your script. Do you have anything you want to say on that? Or? Oh, sure. Well, I would I would just say, yeah, like looking at this uh, chart here, you see things like JavaScript and, and Java still, you know. Rule the world. Yeah. Rule the world. Yeah, they're just the heavy dominators. Um and I think a lot of that is, you know, you just there's there's a lot of inertia. There's a lot of libraries. There's been a lot of man hours put into both of those projects to get them. For all the hate that JavaScript's got, you know, they've put in a ton of work in V8. Uh, it's a really nice runtime now, and there's, you know, the, it's actually modernizing, which is nice to see. I, from the from the Clojure perspective, I think it just highlights kind of why I like Clojure. Not everyone will or be interested in it, but they've always had a very pragmatic approach in that, like. We don't want to build our own garbage collector. We don't want to have to reinvent all of these libraries. And so while well, it's like you can see here on this chart, like it's not popular at all. It's down there with uh, Kotlin and Elixir and Haskell. CoffeeScript is now, I think, a lot farther down than you would have seen like five years ago. But they Which let you... Which makes a ton of sense. It does. Yeah. But yeah. when you use, you know, ClojureScript or Clojure, you just you get really good host interrupt and you can use any of those native libraries. Actually, there was recently just a, some pretty exciting ClojureScript compiler um, developments mm. where now um, you can pretty much just it's like native interrupt with node libraries and all three of the common JavaScript packaging formats so ClojureScript came with like a you know namespace and package stuff first class mm. when JavaScript was still trying to invent that now there's like you know common JS and AMD all these things you can just have the ClojureScript compile it will go get your NPM depths for you it will use them bundle them all up, figure out your externs for you, optimize it all with Google Clojure, and just spit out optimized JavaScript. So it's pretty exciting, and it even includes support now so that in the same build tool chain, you can compile JSX, and you can support things like React Native. So it should make the interrupt story even better. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that I found most interesting was I'm an old Java boy. I'm happy to see Java at the top, though I think things like Kotlin, Scala... Um, particularly Java 9. I don't know how closely you follow that, Wes, but Java 9 is starting to adopt some of the more functional paradigms. Yeah. That, yeah, that, you, that particularly you probably are, you know, old hat for human closure, right? But mm-hmm. I think that's going to be interesting. What I found really surprising, though, is that of the people surveyed by JetBrains, Go, Google's Go, was the most promising programming language. Yeah. 
I don't I don't know how I feel about that. I know the audience on Coda Radio loves Rust over Go. So this is kind of an interesting situation where a lot of folks have a lot of positive feedback for Go. Um, and Rust didn't even make the list. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't even rank. I wonder Objective if that's C a... ranked higher, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I wonder if that's like a weird split in... I, I feel like I've seen a lot of Rust love from sysadmin types or free yeah. software types or people who are you know involved in some of the more traditional Linux community. And Go seems very focused on web dev networking containers especially and any kind of these like modern things that end up coming out of like big cloud focused shops and i think there's somewhat of a disconnect between those two groups sometimes i actually think it's fair i mean i'm more on the cloud focused shop side and i'm pretty uh, i flirted with go several times but rust has never been able to attract me so i think that's actually a really good diagnosis and i think part of it's like rust lets you do a lot of neat stuff and i think it's an interesting language i've enjoyed watching its um, development but i'm not writing a new um you know i'm not writing something like mozilla servo or really right. low level stuff where i'm interested in managing my own memory go seems to have a very compelling story of like hey look we support a lot of your networking primitives right out of the box we have a good story uh on you know concurrency and parallelism have fun you probably well, it's won't like shoot c yourself plus in the plus right it's like c plus plus had it been written in 2014 instead of you know yeah exactly and i think there's also a lot of enterprise love um for how simple it is and how you know like the lack of generics and things like that um, maybe constrain some of those, you know, unicorn programmers that will write very complicated things that might work very well, but are hard for enterprises that need to have kind of like lowest common denominator code that new members on the team can pick up and work on from day one. And that and that's what C sharp is for kids. Hey, there you go. There you go. And somebody's mentioning in the chat, Kotlin. Um, so I don't know if we mentioned this at the top, West, but uh, JetBrains, the inventors of Kotlin, is actually the folks who published the survey. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's a little unfair to start beating up on Kotlin not ranking higher, only because Kotlin just got adopted for Android. And, it, and we should probably say this. So Apple made it pretty clear that Swift was not only a new language for iOS development, but you know, Objective-C was going to be taken into the backyard and shot in the back of the head. Yes. Google was more like, yeah, you can use Kotlin now, but, you know, yay Java, right? So there's a big difference here. I think it's a little unfair to compare the Swift adoption over Objective-C to the Kotlin adoption over Java, which is a damn shame because Objective-C is still the best language in that entire (laughs) list. What do you think of Kotlin? I like Kotlin. I mean, Kotlin is very similar to Swift. Um, we, so we had a whole show on this where, of course, it's obviously like compiling to the JVM and mm-hmm. not native, where Swift is compiling native, blah, blah, blah. But it's, you know, okay, part of my problem with Swift is that iOS applications can get complicated. But if you've ever worked on a JVM enterprise app, there are very few things more complex and over-engineered than that. So the things that you get from like Kotlin and and Swift and protocol-oriented programming, I feel make a lot more sense in that domain than they do on like your mobile app. So it's weird, right? Because in, in a lot of ways, Kotlin and Swift are, from a syntax and a development philosophy perspective, are actually 
very comparable. Like they have a lot of similar ideas. But because they operate in different domains, and I'm going to remind the audience before they start writing their YouTube comments, that Kotlin has been around for several years now on the server before Google adopted it. For yeah, definitely. So, you know, that sort of architecture and uh, sort of, I would say, complex engineering, to me, makes a lot of sense on the server side where – you know what I find on the mobile side, a little bit of like tight coupling kind of makes sense because, you know, if you're writing your mobile application, in a lot of cases, your mobile app is actually just a dumb front end to your back end API. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're writing the Starbucks app. And, you know, I think we've all learned from the original article of the show notes today, the Starbucks mobile app is just a dumb front end to that API that opened that Starbucks exactly. API. So you don't need to worry about engineering I think quite as heavily. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think that's, uh, I think, I think that's definitely true. And in many ways, like we've spent a long time working with uh, kind of object oriented, you know, MVC style ways of doing UI work, interface work, and we have a lot of libraries optimized for that. And outside some of the more modern, like um, you know, Diffing based systems, things like React and and Vue, I think it's been kind of hard, like, for there to be a really good functional story around UI work. And so unless you're going to go full React, um, it maybe doesn't it, it may be more work to try to adopt some of these practices, some of these ways of developing software just to try to make your dumb UI when, yeah, that makes more sense to put that labor in in the back end where you actually do have a lot of incidental complexity that you need to manage and is actually doing most of the heavy lifting for your app. It's interesting here too, like there's um Scala didn't is it hasn't I kind of expected to see more Scala here in this list than than we did but i suppose i suppose that's maybe just in the enterprise world and some of my bias there i'm also kind of surprised that it, you know they talk a little bit here about they have some neat graphics about how often do you use the following tools uh and so like some things are common that you'd expect things like get github gitlab bitbucket yeah people use that uh less right. so of an issue tracker less so of code review that one i can kind of see but I'm kind of surprised by how this continuous integration, it's a little bit weighted on the no, I don't use side, but I would have thought these days that would have picked up more. Yeah, um, I'm a little, so I, I did a look at that and I was wondering if people don't consider things like Jira an issue tracker. Right. Um, I wonder if they consider that more a project management tool. Yeah, that is, I think, how it's used primarily. But it is at its core, right, an issue tracker. I mean, you have tickets, they go, you know, it's, yeah. it's agile, Kanban board style. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting. I mean, if people really aren't using any sort of issue tracker, that's, you know, like I wasn't surprised to see that only 55% of people actually write tests. Because, you know, everybody talks about tests when they want to screw over another vendor and steal a contract. Yes. But nobody writes them on a fixed bid, right? <laughs> it just doesn't happen no. unless you're on an agile contract. You're like, well, I was going to start uh, writing the test, but I just finished the feature in time. So there you go. It's done. And yeah, it would have been below cost, right? Mm-hmm. So the issue tracker thing was a little weird to me. Cause I'm thinking, well, then how the hell do you know what you're working on? So I, I find that surprising. And, and this is where I think the JetBrains survey sort of fails. It doesn't define what an issue tracker is. Um, you know, for instance, if folks are using Trello, well, I would consider that to be an issue tracker. Yeah, right? absolutely. 
but I, I doubt JetBrains would, considering they sell an issue tracker called U-Track. I did like not probably, know that. Yes, they do. They they probably don't consider anything that's not like a specific issue tracker or an issue tracker, or even like something like Asana, where it's just a task list or a task list in Basecamp. I would consider those all a form of issue tracking. Yeah, I would as well. Like, you know, not all organizations are going to have a super formal process or a specific tool for it. Right, or even like an Excel sheet, right? Like I bet a lot. Oh yeah, totally. All right, go go pull up the Excel sheet and you know start working on this issue and whatever. Boy, that's funny. All right, well now that we're depressed or pleased, I'm not quite sure about the state of the developer ecosystem. Let's talk about uh, how our first sponsor tonight maybe uh, you know can help inspire you that yes, you can make things better, and uh, that's our friends over at Scale Your Code. Head on over to scaleyourcode.com. There you can sign up for their real, you know, it's it's a low-flow mailing list, but they have incredible content. Really, whatever your role is, uh, you know, whether you're trying to start your own startup, you're working on a new business, or you're trying to help build an existing company, they've got awesome lessons from industry insiders on how to scale your code, build reliable distributed systems, and take your engineering skills to the to the next level. So, so often in this industry, you know, you're you're consulted, you're confronted with colleagues or others who, you know, think they know best. Everyone has their own anecdotes about how to do things, how to run, um, you know, in production systems without downtime and do it properly. But you don't always have access to some of the people that you know have actually set the set the agenda for this in the industry. Scale your code brings that right to your inbox. They won't spam you. They don't sell your information. Nothing like that. Plus, you know, going there, signing up helps let them know that you support the Coder Radio program, which is awesome. You will see so much incredible content from from people that you've already heard of. You know, people like Nick Craver. Uh, one thing I found that was fascinating that I've enjoyed like for a long time with this site, they, they've got uh, Seth Vargo over at HashiCorp. So you've, I'm sure you've heard about HashiCorp. They make awesome tools, things like Vagrant, Terraform, Console, Packer. There's some of the at the forefront of, you know, how we think about cloud things, how we think about deploying, packaging, distributing our applications. They've got awesome, awesome interviews with people like this, give you insight into how they think, the projects they're working on, and how you can take that and use it in, you know, the software that you're building at home. So they've got a ton of great stuff, tutorials, interviews, best practices, stuff new all the time. You won't get spammed. Go to scaleyourcode.com, sign up today, and learn from some of the industry's experts on how to scale your code. Thank you to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Ah, all right. What do we got next for the fine audience today, Mr. Dominic? Google Analytic is used to track users. I can't imagine this is shocking to anybody, but it was submitted to the subreddit. So I feel like we should talk about it. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so here's um, a here's a issue over at Mozilla slash add-ons front end talking just about that. Let's see. Yeah. So basically, Google Analytics will still track you even if it says it's not in Firefox, right? Because it's Mozilla, so. Right, yeah. I don't know how I feel about this, to be honest with you. On the one hand, I mean, we all know Google's kind of skeevy, right? Oh, well, I, yeah, certainly. I feel like that's kind of the baseline. So is the fact that they are like aggressing aggressively tracking you shocking? No, I mean I it certainly isn't shocking to me, but I could see how 
you know, people desperate, uh, perhaps rightly so, to get away from some of the Google ecosystems or just be more conscious of where those hooks are, you know, you start becoming more aware and you're like, why I'm trying to use my non-Google browser, but here's Google anyway, everywhere. Um, yeah, this was an interesting, you know, uh, issue discussion here. And, it, it, you know, Mozilla gets, it sounds like a lot of value. The, what actually turns out happening is like, right, this is the, the actual add-ons page is like an embedded iframe hosted on Mozilla's site. So when you open that up, you are downloading from them. They use Google Analytics to help get in, anonymized information about their visitors and optimize their site. They seem to get a lot of value out of that. But I can certainly understand how Firefox people are like, wait, I didn't sign up for this. Don't don't have my information. Okay, but I, I'm going to, again, say, like, Mozilla, by using Google Analytics, is making a deal with Google that Google is going to track their users. So if Mozilla feels like that's something that shouldn't happen, then they don't get the juicy data that comes with Google Analytics, right? Like, I, I, I really don't see the outrage here. Yeah, I think it was more about... Yeah, I don't know if I would say outrage is justified. I think it's more about an um, expectation issue. Thankfully, it looks like in the discussions here that, uh, you know, they are from, like, they're not removing analytic support entirely, but they did seem to support the idea of, you know, having an opt-in or respecting do not track or other things to um, try to limit this, or if you don't want to send that information, find a way to not. So it seems like they're open to pleasing some of their users, Scandal, I don't think I would call it that. Fair enough. I wouldn't call it a scandal either, but I, I felt like we had to cover it because people were getting in a tissy. Yeah, and I think, you know, I can feel that. Like, there is this, Google is everywhere. It's very hard to avoid. Even if you want to use it and are comfortable using it, there's a lot of privacy implications there that are sometimes hard to understand. Um, and so I, I can just see it being surprising for people, even when it it shouldn't necessarily be. I can also understand where Firefox is coming from and wanting to use, you know, get this information because, hey, the, that's kind of the bread and butter of what, what they're doing. Uh, it, we In the show notes, there's a Hacker News discussion. I think that one was pretty good as well, kind of shedding some light. Some people from Mozilla posted there and tried to explain their side of the story. I think that makes sense. But let me tell you another story with two sides there, Wes. Boss vendors getting the shaft in the healthcare IT department. Oh, I don't like so the sounds this, of this. Ooh, it's it's rock hard. So we wow, we got this email from uh, a listener whose name he did not provide the email, which makes this challenging for me. He says, "My life for the last three years." Subject heading: Foss Healthcare IT and Liability Dragons. Wes, there be dragons. Oh no, and not the good kind of dragon. TLDR, FOSS vendors would make a lot of money hand over fist, but have your $100 million umbrella policy ready for defect liability. So I'm actually going to sum this up because I know we're going over on time. Basically, this listener makes the argument, and from a position of being in the healthcare IT world, of FOSS vendors such as myself that go in and try to sell uh, solutions based on uh, you know FOSS software right to IT to healthcare IT departments have a serious problem in that in their contracts they only accept implementation liability which is true like that is I'm, I'm sure this is the case for you guys too right that's what my contract says for instance if Rails has a bug that's not my problem totally 
But if I screw up setting up your server, that is my problem. Exactly. So that's an interesting perspective where because of those contract structures, a lot of healthcare IT departments are actually refusing the FOSS solutions and going with proprietary solutions such as Microsoft because Microsoft will indemnify them to the liability. Mm, I see. And I was that wondering makes sense. Right, because you know, lawyers rule the goddamn country. Yes, they do. Boy, that 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 does put FOSS vendors I kind of in a, a tough position. And I I I've, I've definitely seen some of this before where it's like, yeah, if they're, you know, if you're really in the position where you're looking to be able to just offload all of that kind of liability and support issues to a, you know, to your vendor and not not have that liability in-house, it can be tough to support some of these open source things because there is no you have to somewhere fundamentally have someone who's willing to, you know, sign on the line and say like, yep, we are liable for this. Right. Someone has to be able to get sued, basically. Right. That's the culture right. that we live in. Right. I mean, and you know, I, I see this from two sides. One, these guys are paying a lot for proprietary solutions. Yes. That, in my opinion, don't make sense. But also a $20 million lawsuit would absolutely bankrupt my company. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, no doubt about it. That's bankruptcy overnight. So I get it, right? And this is one of those fields where there's, you know, there's a lot of regulation and there's a lot of rules, partially for good reasons, perhaps not also, but but there's just, there's a lot of hoops, there's a lot of liability. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like marketing data or anything like that. It's it's people's lives and their health. So I can understand why there's, there's a lot of caution and or just fear of getting sued because we have a ton of medical lawsuits in this country. Let me, let, let me default advocate for you a little bit here. Oh, yeah, please do. Let's... Uh, just as an example, and this is not me beating up on Microsoft, because actually ASP uh, Core is now open source. Yes, but let's just say ASP is a proprietary one. Uh, let's just rewind to two years ago when it was proprietary. That could be totally faulty, right? There could be bugs in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're programmers like anybody else. Exactly. Not writing their tests, as we talked about before. <laughs> Almost certainly. So is, is the... Is the rationale here – because the way I read this fellow's email is that the rationale here is as long as we can lay off the legal liability on someone else, then that is the answer to the problem. Is that really what we've come to? Not technical um, you know, not, not technical viability, not efficiency of data processing, but you know, legal liability. Is, is that really, Wes, where we are right now? I don't want to think that, and, and I don't think it's universal. Um, you know, I've, I've certainly talked to people, um, including even, you know, Noah of the JB Network, who's talked about deploying open EMR and other similar solutions. So there clearly are ways for people to do it. There are companies or enterprises or healthcare providers who are open to, um, you know, what I guess is now a non-traditional model for some reason. But boy, I can just, uh, it, lawyers really do run a lot of things. And unless you have, you know, a company where some of the business side of the of the house has come from a tech background, it's hard to make those arguments for, you know, especially when you're like, well, I just went out to get drinks with the sales rep from so-and-so giant company, and yeah, it's expensive, but they've got 24-7 support, and they're liable, and they're willing to sign all of our contracts and NDAs and everything, and he's a really nice guy, and they, they everyone else uses them. Right, and we can sue them into the goddamn ground. Actually, no, we can sue them, and they have the money to pay. And they have the money to pay us. Yeah, exactly. Which is like none of those are things I would ever want to have to be like. Yes, this is what I'll do because of that. But I can see people. It's a lot of pressure. 
So I used to write Java applets for a living. Shame on you. Which were totally guaranteed by Sun at the time. Yeah, okay. There we go. I just want to say, but they were probably the most insecure, reckless, um, disrespectful of user privacy thing you could possibly be doing. Mm. So that guarantee was, in effect, meaningless. Unless you have the legal muscle to sue them, right? Yeah, totally. I just want like that, that. That's just the reality of the situation. We can move on from this. I don't want to beat up on the proprietary solutions. I mean, there are, you know, what ASP Core is actually really interesting, right? The dot, whole .dot net Renaissance thing is cool, but it seems a crazy way to buy software solutions. Yeah, it does kind of seem like a crazy way to buy software solutions. I completely agree with you. What a world that we live in, right? Well, I guess if you're, you know, if you're in the position where you're like, this is stupid, I'm not going to do that, open source all the way, just talk to our uh, final sponsor this evening, our friends over at DigitalOcean.com. If you head on over to DigitalOcean.com, you will find cloud computing designed for developers, entrepreneurs, engineers, and pretty much anyone who wants to get stuff done. That's because you can launch a brand new VPS in just 55 seconds. Yeah, what? Am I serious? I totally am. 55 seconds, sometimes less if you look at some screenshots on the interwebs. And it can be whatever you want. FreeBSD. Yeah, they've got that. Pretty much any kind of Linux that you're talking about. Container OS. Yeah, they got that too. Right from the CoreOS project, they work closely with these upstreams. And you can see that they're totally focused on developers, on open source, and getting things done because they take community contributions, they hire real editors to make sure that you've got first-in-class content. And, and that way, you know that how to do it right, you know how to get started, whether it's deploying open EMR, a new WordPress server, a VPN connection for your, for your small office, doesn't matter, DO helps you get it done. Plus, when you use our promo code, Coder Digital. Yeah, that's right. Coder Digital. You'll get a $10 credit. When you go over and check out the pricing page, you'll see that that's an awesome deal because prices start at just $5 a month. That gets you a whole virtual CPU, 512 MB of memory, 20 gigs, pure SSD disk, and a whopping terabyte of transfer. And this is not some sort of paltry transfer where you're like, uh, it's super slow. It's 100 megs down. Who knows up? No, they have got 40 gigabit E coming into these hypervisors. They've got great peering, great transit. Super simple. Makes it easy and reliable. Plus, with new premium features, things like load balancing, monitoring, attachable block storage. They've got object storage in the works. All of those make them super competitive with some of their behemoth competitors. They've got the same primitives, but super simple, super clean API. Which is, which is perfect, because that's what we all want, right? Like, you want programmatic access, you want it to be simple, you don't want it to be super complicated that spits giant JSON blobs that you just don't know what to do with. Now, they built their own apps on it, they built their UI on it, they dog food this stuff. DigitalOcean knows what they're doing, and it really shows. And that's what makes it so simple and so great to use. You can get started with promo code, Coder Digital, that lets them know you appreciate them sponsoring this here program. Thank you very much to DigitalOcean. And when you create your favorite new app, cool project, or whatever, write in and tell us about it. We'd love to hear. Okay, so up next, we've got sameroom.io. I think we've all had the problem of uh, too many chat apps. 
There's just so many. We've already talked about like several just on the program today. What are you supposed to do with that? How do you do it? I have like three officially supported chat apps at work already. I'm sure you have the same problem. I just don't talk to people at work. Does that work? Because I would totally be down to try it. It depends if you're the guy who wants the company. It works. Uh, damn it. Yeah, that does seem like that would work pretty well. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? No, you know, never mind. It's good. Um, yeah, so this is pretty interesting. It integrates all your chat apps into one app, which kind of feels like Nirvana to me. Like, you know, I have, let's see, five Slack teams open right now. I'd like to make that zero if possible or one. Can we just take this a step further? I would love that. Right. Like, so you're saying we're all going right back to IRC? That's the solution? You know what? I feel like IRC would keep all the designers and PMs out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it would. <laughs> I'm actually okay with that. Right? You know this, is, this is our nerd talk zone. Techies if only. Listen, if you can't run it in Bash, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. So would you use something like sameroom.io? Oh, absolutely. I, I would... I. You know what? I tolerate Slack being open because I have to, but you can ask anybody who's ever worked with me. I get really grumpy when someone asks me to have another chat client open. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm getting hit from multiple sides. And it's like, all right, dude, I'm talking to these guys on Slack, these guys on Google, these guys on Skype. Enough is enough. Like, so we'll, I have to actually get work done. So here, here they've got them some sort of like uh, fun things, things like I'm Jacob and I write software. I use same room to read Freenode IRC channels in Slack. So what's your pitch? You're uh, I'm Michael. I'm Michael. Please stop messaging me. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And no, I will never install your stupid chat platform. No, but I, I think same room could be cool. I mean, right now I have managed to be enough of a jerk that I'm only in Slack. But that took like nine years of being a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you had to build that and make people understand that it was like too much trouble to even try to argue with you about it and let's be honest like i i definitely lost plenty of staff all gigs because of this because i'm like no i'm just not gonna sit in skype all day Mm, yeah yeah because at some point you know this this is my thing right i feel like distributed teams can really work well in slack but they're missing the glue. There needs to be some sort of bot or software or bot that binds everything together. And the solution to that problem is not to then add different chat services, right? It's not to add Basecamp or, or you know, Skype or HipChat or anything. It's to say, you know what, every message is not important. I mean, this is almost like email. I don't know if you're using Gmail, Wes, but... Are, are you using the public version of Gmail right now? Yes, yeah. I am. Yeah. So, you know, it says important promotions updates. Yes. I read all the email I get, even from listeners, even if, like, sometimes I don't respond because they're calling me an asshole. Which, yeah, right. fair enough. You can't respond to everything. But Gmail has gotten really good at, like, all the woofoo stuff we get goes into updates. Nice. All the advertising crap goes into promotions. And anything that's, like, you know, my grandmother who just got an ipad who's very excited to send <laughs> uh, that's adorable e, an e-letter with a formal subject line yes and a formal uh. address and a formal signature <laughs> that's adorable that goes, 
that goes right into primary, right? Yeah. That goes, and I read that first, right? It goes primary updates, and I never open the promotions. So. Totally. It is really nice in that respect. I agree. But, but if same room can do that for us, if same room can say, you know what, this just isn't that important, right? Like, and if, or if any solution, any kind of AI bot can do that, can you tell I have something coming out in a week and a half? I think so. Yeah. Like it's like I'm advertising something. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be extremely productive. And I think as developers who tend to bill out at pretty high rates, it would be good for our employers and clients as well that we not be bothered with, you know, John's latest weekend golf trip, right? Immediately. Yes. And uh, not disrupt our flow. No, because that's like, that's super important. You need to, when you're in the zone, you're actually being productive. You don't need a thousand pings that aren't time sensitive. They just get in your way with nothingness. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Well, do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, the things that you're, that, that you just mentioned there? So can I tease? Yeah. Oh yeah. Please do. So I am launching something on August 1st. That's coming up real quick. Can you tell I'm nervous? No, Um, you sound confident and ready. You know, it's Florida. The fact that I can still see 40 feet in front of me is amazing down here. I mean, I am like God. I can drive. I tend not to crash my car. And I don't get a senior citizen discount. Ooh. I am like Achilles down here. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm Ajax, Achilles, whatever. Um, So I just want to point people to a Twitter account. And I'm not going to say too much more about it because, you know, what? I, I, I don't want to ruin the fun. I have a lot coming on and there's going to be free stuff, uh, free 3D printed stuff. No way. That we're going to mail to listeners. So I don't want to ruin it. But if you go to Twitter at the Madbotter Inc. and you follow and, you know, send a message at the Madbotter Inc. with the hashtag Coda Radio. Let's just say that would put you on a list. Almost almost like a bot did it, almost automatically. And then you would in future weeks get a get a message, a direct message asking you for your shipping address for a 3D printed goodie. Ooh, who doesn't love goodies? Who doesn't love goodies? And 3D printing, I mean that's just all the rage. It is all the rage, and, and, and I love my 3D printer, my Lulzbot Mini, right next to me from Denver, Colorado. Ooh, how long have you had that? Uh, since maybe three months now. Ah, uh-huh. so it's a, yeah. it's a fast love, but, but it, it, is a, it is a hot sort of summer love. Steamy affair. Steaming. Yes, well, I mean, you're in Florida now, so there's just sort of vapor in the air. Uh, that's walking actually through a pool. Yeah, that's Ben Gay, but whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, that got weird. I need a drink. Uh, who doesn't? Yeah, that's it. Amen. So, so, Wes, what are you up to? I know we have to close the show in a few that's minutes. That's true. What have you been doing? We've been talking about me and, and Java. Both are very sad. Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't. Java's Java's had some ex- like you were talking about. Java's had some exciting improvements in the work. Didn't they like? Did they actually decide they were going to go with a module system for Java nine? Uh, yes, but there's some conversation still going on, on the mailing list. But yes, I mean, absolutely. But the details are still being kind of yeah. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, 
Well, I have. I've been playing a lot with the uh, closure on the side, but at work, I've been doing a lot of chef, and so that means I've been doing a lot of Ruby, which is not. Oh my! Previously, God, been my... my background, so it's been interesting. I've been a Python guy before, so that's kind of where I was coming. So obviously, it's not that much different, but you know, there's Rubyisms and such. So, what are you finding Ruby to be like? It's funny because so I'm also uh, playing a little bit with Elixir on the side as well, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which has a very Ruby-inspired syntax, but under the hood is also heavily Clojure-inspired as well as, of course, Erlang. Um, for whatever reason, I just there, there's a lot about Ruby that I really like. Like there's a lot of um, functionally sympathetic things, blocks, etc. That that I like. I like the expression-oriented style, which is something I don't really like. I don't like all the statements in Python. Um, so there's a lot about it that I like, but there's something about the syntax that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I feel bad saying that because I have nothing against the language at all. It's a fine language. Uh, it works well. I'm enjoying using it for the most part, but it's just, and maybe that just comes with time, but I just don't have an aesthetic appreciation for it. Even though that's, I know that's one thing that people rave about Ruby is they love how friendly and easy it is. Yeah. So I'm going to say, um, I've been doing Ruby for a long time. Ruby is a language that is actually really seductive i feel like when you're learning mm-hmm. but as you branch out and start doing other things like i've been playing a lot like i've been doing a little bit of uh like all kinds of stuff. i did rust i did a little experiment with some arduino and go which, oh, I, which wow. I which i really liked and every time i have to come back to ruby for work i find ruby to be a little um parochial mm. for lack of a better word like no, a little a bit great of word Right, the Fisher Price of languages, right? It's like, okay, it, it almost assumes you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I think that you've you've hit it exactly what I would coming from me, especially like as someone who, you know, it's not my first language, I already understand a lot of the thing concepts that it has. And so like one thing, I just R spec has taken me forever to really get comfortable with or like. And yeah. I'm really used to a lot more I guess you'd say less expressive, but like in some ways, simpler tests where it's just like using regular constructs. And so having these tests that are meant to be very human readable, which I can appreciate. And I feel like maybe for a beginner would make it super easy to get started. But for me, it's like, there's just so much magic here and it takes me forever to start peeling that back. And I'm like, okay, well now I understand it, but I don't need the magic. I could have just written the simpler one. So I I can speak to RSpec in particular. RSpec is the product of kind of a failed dream. Um, I remember when RSpec became popular, let's say back in like 2012-ish, it was – the idea behind RSpec was that guys like you and me would not be writing these tests. Mm, okay. That we would have project managers or product owners writing the tests, people who weren't that technical but like knew how to write an Excel macro. You know right. what I mean? Like, yep. And that is why it is the way it is. But that never happened because it, in a way it's just simple enough and just expressive enough to be annoying to full-blown developers, yes, I feel. Exactly. But just hard enough and technical enough to be impossible for the PM to write. So it's kind of like the dreams of having the, de- the de- designers make the templates. Well, if you've ever listened to Bruce Springsteen's Atlantic City, it's <laughs> yeah. a lot like that song. It's like the land of broken dreams and desperation. And- uh. Okay, well that that makes that totally makes sense, and I'm glad that it's not just me that feels that way. No, it's not you. In fact, I you know one of my big regrets is that I went Ruby and not Python. And I like Ruby, I like Rails, in that I don't use the default configuration of Rails, and I think CoffeeScript is a, is a is a crime against humanity. Yeah, uh, <laughs> certainly now anyway. It never made sense. I, 
like we didn't even, I don't want to go into this. Yeah, since yep. we've had like we'll five save that for another. Yeah, bitching, exactly. Well, we're bitching them out right when they came out, but like Python is pretty pretty powerful and i would actually argue and th- and this is going to be for web applications i still argue that ruby is a great choice yeah and i even argue that ruby is actually a slightly better choice than python because but rails rails is like super good at that and you get a lot of efficiencies yeah well and it's but very if, like all the magic means that you know there's ma- not a lot magic. of boilerplate you just kind of go when you have a web server now right magic means cheap right yes. magic means efficiency but python has proven so powerful with data processing that if you're in the sciences or you're in like statistics or analytics and research and you want a high level language, I think you're kind of crazy not to at least consider Python. Now, now you may decide to go with something else, right? You may decide to go with Rust or Go or whatever. Julia, who knows? I, yeah, who the hell, right? Or, I mean, I, I hear a lot about Elm. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. That I hear it, um, but like, like I see Ruby as kind of a one-trick pony. It is a web application development framework. Granted, that's what like ninety-nine percent of people are trying to do. True, but if you are like writing scripts, like I have a bunch of Ruby scripts, and I'm looking at them saying, I should probably just like write these in C or Python. Totally, yes. I have some of yeah. those too, where it's like I've even seen stuff where like they're cookbooks that were turned into scripts, and it's just like yeah. this is this is too complicated when it could just be like a 50 line python file that i could come back to and read the first time in like 10 minutes right and i and i think that goes to that ruby sort of wasn't super popular until rails came around yes right that was like the killer app for the whole language and then rails sort of infected the ruby development community i i I mean that this is my theory i have nothing to back this up so send your hate mail to alan at jupiter broadcasting (laughs) that's perfect Ugh. Doesn't even host TechSnap anymore, but I'm still sending him hate mail. Ooh, I like that. Well, I hopefully I won't get any complaints about that. But uh, if I do, I know where to send them. I think that's, uh, what is it? It's Michael at, at Buccaneer something something? Or Michael at themadbotter.com. Whoops. Ooh, shh, quiet. Hashtag leads. Quiet Hashtag down now. All right. Well, I guess that's a natural place to end the show. I would like to say next time, if, if we do this again, we should definitely talk about Elm because there's certainly not time today, but that's an interesting topic. Yeah, another day. Anything you would like to leave people with? Any more teases or just, uh, hey, go check out the Twitter? I would say is go check uh, the Mad Botter Inc. on Twitter if you want free 3D printed to stuff. Awesome. Well, that's great. Thank you very much uh, for letting me uh, jump in here today while Chris got some much-needed rest. This has been episode... Thank you for coming. Yeah, oh, my pleasure. It's always a ton of fun to talk about the craziness of software with the delightful Mr. Michael Dominic. If you'd like to see more of the show, head on over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. There you can get all the archives. You can find the calendar, see when they're live next, or just join the live stream and chat in the IRC. It's a ton of fun. This has been episode 266, broadcast live on July 20th, 2017. 